Welcome to episode 13 of the Via Emmaus podcast, where we'll be discussing the Psalms and its place in our Bible reading plan. My name is Anton Brooks, and I'm here with David Schrock, the pastor of preaching and theology here at Aquaquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the book of Psalms. So what is a psalm? Psalm is a song, right? Yeah. There are 150 uh, Hebrew songs, um, different kinds of songs, uh, laments that are just kind of mournful songs and crying out to God for His uh, help, uh, praise songs. Right. Um, in fact, it's interesting to see the there are probably more lament songs or psalms than praise psalms. Uh, but st- strictly speaking, they're they're the songs of the people of Israel. Right. So, who wrote the psalms? Uh, different authors uh, throughout. Um, you know. Psalms is typically associated with David. Right. Uh, he's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. Uh, he's the one who uh, has written 73, maybe even more than that. There are a few places in the book of Acts that associate like Psalm 2 with David, for instance, even though David's uh, name is not there. Right. Um, we can know who wrote individual psalms because of what is called the superscription, mm-hmm. right? So at the top of every psalm, uh, typically there's a superscription, um, and in that way it identifies who wrote it, mm-hmm. uh, what kind of music is there, sometimes some historical information, right, right that is there. Um, so those are ways we learn about the psalms. Uh, but we also see that some psalms uh, don't have um, authors associated with them. Um, sometimes it's because they're connected with the psalm next to it, right? right? So Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 have the same refrain and should probably be read together. Um, psalm 9 and Psalm 10 should probably be read together. Psalm 10 doesn't have a superscription, doesn't have David's name on it. Psalm 9 does, but if you read them in the original Hebrew, one of the things that's interesting is that there is an acrostic, right? So A, B, C, D, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, or I guess the Old Testament would be Aleph, Bet, Gamma. So there's a way in which the alphabet is being followed in those right. psalms. And it starts in Psalm 9, goes to Psalm 10. So oh, you should read those two together. Right, and it yeah. partly explains why Psalm 10 doesn't have the name of David at the top of it. Right. Uh, but particularly, David is the one who's associated with many psalms. Um, but there are others, right? So Asaph and uh, the sons of Korah, Haman, Solomon, Moses, uh, Ethan, are some of the names of, of uh, the writers. One thing I think is fascinating is the fact that all the people who wrote Psalms, the names associated there, are identified as priests. Right, yeah. Right? Um, even David um, worships God like a priest wearing an ephod in 2 Samuel chapter 6, has great care and concern for the temple mm-hmm. uh, being built there, even though Solomon does that. Uh, but there is a priestly nature, it seems, to all those who are writing the Psalms. And of course, one of the things that we know about the Psalter is that they would have been sung in the temple. Right. Uh, there are different times and different songs would be sung. In fact, even the songs of ascent, 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, um, have been said that they matched the 15 steps going up in the temple. Wow. And that there would have been 15 Levites who had been standing on the 15 songs or 15 steps singing the 15 songs of ascent. So there's wow. just different ways that those things were uh, incorporated into the worship in Israel. Do you think that we can read anything from the fact that the book of Psalms is the largest book of the Bible and that it was written by multiple authors over a long period of time? Yeah, and so when you say uh, largest book of the Bible, because there are 150 uh, of the songs yeah, right. there, yeah, I'd have to go back. I think Jeremiah might have the most number of words right. in it. Yeah. Um, but most of us don't count the number of words right. that are there. Uh, but Psalm, 
the Psalms 150. I, I do think that it, it is critically important for us to see um, that it is a major part of the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, it is quoted more than any other book in the Old Testament, right. in the New Testament. Uh, so I do think it has a, a key part uh, to play in all of that. Um, you know, as you see, there are different um, authors of the Psalms uh, throughout the history of Israel, going back from Moses all the way to, uh, we don't have names, but there were certainly those who wrote Psalms after the exile. So Psalm right. 137 talks about returning from Babylon. Um, so it seems as though it covers the whole span of Israel's history. Uh, and we, as we'll go through the Psalms, we'll see that it moves from a historical David to the promise of an eschatological David, that is a David to come in the future, who we now know as the son of David and Jesus Christ. Uh, so in all of these ways and more, it, I think it does play a huge role in the life and worship of, of the believer. So is there, I'm just thinking here, is there, is there a time where music or worship through song was not a part of the worship of God? So you just think about where in the Bible song begins. First song in the Bible is actually by Lamech, right, as he's boasting in the two wives that he has, right. as he's boasting um, in uh, his, his violence and his warfare. Right? We know that in Genesis 4 that uh, you know, those on the line of Cain are making musical instruments. Right, right? Yeah. Uh, and it seems as though they're doing so to, to please themselves and for their own vain glory. So we might even think of the way that the Psalms are redeeming the way that music is. I mean, music is just part of what it means to be human. Right. right? There's no culture that does not have music in it. And part of that is probably because we're made in the image of God. Right. right? Zephaniah 3 speaks of the fact that God sings over us. Right. right. So I think that it's just part of what it means to be human. And in the experience of the people of Israel, we begin to see how songs begin in response to God's work of redemption. I think I'm right in saying that the first song of redemption is Exodus 15, right? Where Moses' song is written and Miriam joins him in that, and it's praise for God redeeming the people out of Egypt, right? right? In Judges, we see that the story of Barak and Deborah is told with just a narrative, and then Judges 5 couples it with a song, right? So there is praise that is there because of God's redemption. So certainly the Psalter then is going to continue to be giving the songs of praise to God for his saving work, other psalms about creation. So just to answer in that way, it's like, no, I think it's impossible for us to truly worship God without song. Right. right. That is just part of what it means to be a people created by God and redeemed by God that we respond to him in singing. Yeah, I would even say that um, the worship through song predates man. Um, if, mm. if we look at, you know, if we, when we're reading the text and we see that um, what Lucifer's role was, mm -hmm. which predates us, mm -hmm. um, it seems like the, the heavenly beings were always worshiping through song. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about Lucifer's identity when we get to Ezekiel 28. Right. I have to wait a little bit for that one. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're exactly right. I mean, around the throne of God, there is praise that mm -hmm. is ongoing. That's right. Right? And there is song that is ongoing in his presence. Yeah, that's helpful uh, just to think about the way that, uh, that music is a part of the creation to the praise of its creator. That's right. Yeah. And like you said, music is, is the one thing that I can think of 
that is cross-cultural, mm-hmm. regardless of uh, gender, regardless of um, wealth or status. Mm-hmm. Music seems to have a place in the heart of every culture. Yeah, and it crosses like. Uh, you can take music artists from here and send them to Japan where the people or somewhere where they don't speak English mm-hmm. and they will be just as excited because it's cross culture. Even though, even though they don't necessarily understand there's opera songs that I love. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what they're saying, <laughs> but yeah. there's something about the music that is in the, in the singing yeah. that is um, just beautiful in, in its own. Yeah. I can't help but think if we go to the other end of the Bible to revelation and beyond, right? Right. That part of, uh, eternal praise to God will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation That's right. coming and leading song, mm. right? And perhaps even, you know, uh, <laughs> American, Western, English-only speakers who are so bad at learning other languages <laughs> yeah. will for eternity be learning the languages that they didn't learn right, yeah. uh, with great joy in their hearts so they can praise God in those other languages. Yeah. Um, and that will just be glorious. That will be. So what are the Psalms capable of serving for today's Christians? Brother, we were talking a little bit about that earlier. What would you say? What are some of the things that you see? Well, for me, um, definitely instruction. And we talked about hymns. We yeah, talked about hymns. yeah. Um, so we know that a lot of the Psalms are written into hymns and written into yeah. um, our, for, for lack of a better word, current Christian music. Yeah. Um, I say current, I'm talking last hundred years or so, <laughs> sure. not necessarily yeah. in our in our lifetime. But um, also for instruction, uh, I think they, they give evidence of God. Uh, there's, there's so many things that can be gathered from the Psalms that that are helpful for me, especially as a musician yeah. in the church, uh, that that is very helpful. As a matter of fact, we talked about this early. When I write mm-hmm. um, uh, worship songs, mm-hmm. I, I typically look to the, the exact words of the Bible, and there's really no better place to start yeah. other than Psalms to put a melody that we don't know. We don't know what the melodies yep. were that they were singing, but to put a melody to the words that were there yeah. um, is very helpful. No, I think that's really right. Uh, this morning I was reading Psalm 115, and, uh, you know, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever, right. uh, because your your love and your truth. And uh, it just reminds me of the Chris Tomlin song. Yeah. Right? It begins, not, not, not to us. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, we need that to be singing in our hearts because yeah. it is so tempting for us to be about ourselves and have a song that just reiterates not to us, not yeah. about us, that is about God alone uh, is so necessary, right? So I think, you know, it certainly instructs us, it leads us in worship, it gives us um, a really a model of how God wants us to worship Him, mm-hmm. right? Again, God has not revealed Himself and says, hey, worship me however you want to worship. That's right. Right? But rather, through the Psalms, we learn how we are to praise. We mm-hmm. learn how we are to lament. We're to learn that we are to praise and lament, right? Each of us are inclined towards certain emotions. And the Psalter helps us to widen our emotional array. Right. It gives us language when we don't have the words to articulate the feelings that we have. Right? And so this is why reading Psalms on a daily basis, whether you're going through a Bible plan or not, is so helpful mm-hmm. because when we're feeling high and we read a song that is low, 
it reminds us that there are other brothers and sisters who are low. And it gives us words to be able to reach them. When we are low and we have no resources in ourselves to find joy in life or in anything, well, the Psalter gives us words and truths that remind us of the goodness of who God is and what He's doing that lifts our souls from the dust. And in that way, I think it has an incredible impact for our private worship and then certainly for our corporate worship as well. Yeah, for better or worse, music has the power to influence, oh, it does. to teach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so whatever we're listening to can have an influence on how we think, yep. how we behave, how we dress. I mean, if you look at the culture, um, the culture tends to follow the style, the language, the dress of our musical entertainers. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. it is just, it's just a powerful medium that um, God has given us. And, and when we use it for his worship, there's so much, there's so much more power there yeah. um, than I think. The book of Psalms is referenced so many times in other places in the Bible. We spoke about this. It's in the hymns. It's another worship songs. Um, why is the book of Psalms referenced so often? Like, why do we go back to it so often? Not only in, not only in music, mm-hmm. but just in, in teaching. Cause like in the yeah. New Testament, and so many places like Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 and James 5.13, there's a lot of references to the yeah. Psalms. So a couple of things. We go back to it a lot because the apostles went back to it a lot. Right. Right. So in particular, Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 were key Psalms that identified who Jesus was in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Right. Right. So, so much of the gospel is understood through the Psalms. Right? Theologically, the Psalter has every single doctrine in it. Every Mm -hmm. doctrine about God, every doctrine about man, every doctrine about salvation. There's not a theological doctrine that is not found in the Psalter. Right? So we know who God is through the Psalms. And because the Bible is not given to us as a systematic theology, it doesn't care just to inform our brains, but it is given to shape our hearts. Right? It is theology about God, that is revelation about God, that is intending to lead us to worship Him. Right? So when I teach theology, I'm always thinking, how does this truth lead to doxology? Mm. Right? And the Psalter is the best place to instruct us in those ways. Right? I mentioned as well just Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. We'll have some time to talk about those psalms in the weeks ahead. Um, but in particular, when we're thinking about Christ and his resurrection and understanding who he is, those are the Psalms that get quoted, right? right? And I think part of that is because the Psalter itself is telling us a story, right? right? If we look at who wrote Psalm 1 to Psalm 72, David's name is almost always in its entirety put on those Psalms. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is because books 1 and 2 are talking about the historical David, the experience of his suffering, his rise to power, his sin with Bathsheba, and then his ongoing um, rule as king until his son Solomon sits on the throne, mm-hmm. right? So it's this, this historical presentation of David. Then Psalm 73 through 89 speak of the fall of David's throne, the fall of his kingdom. And when that happens, the people of Israel suffer mightily and they're put into exile. But then in book 4, Psalm 90 to Psalm 106, it reminds us of the way in which God himself is king. That 
God's salvation is not dependent upon David, it's dependent upon God, right? So Yahweh is king is the refrain in those psalms. And then finally, at the end in book 5, we come to Psalm 110 and the, the promise that the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is now the human one who is actually God incarnate, who's going to come and to be the savior for the people of Israel, and that's the son of David. Mm-hmm. And so when we put the whole Psalter together, we see a story. Right. We see the story of the entire Bible, right, that is moving from this promise of a king in the life of David to the fall of that kingdom to the promise of something new that is going to move us towards Jesus. And when we think about how that works together, now we see how Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are kind of a shortcut to describe what is taking place in the entirety of the Psalter, which is the storyline of redemptive history. Right. I think when we get that, it helps us to understand the entirety of the Bible and the entirety of the world and what God is doing centered in Jesus Christ. So you, you spoke of the books, how the 150 Psalms are broken into five books. Yeah. Why are they broken into five books? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know if I know why mm-hmm. as much as I can say that we can see how they're arranged in that way. Right. Right? So in other words... Um, the arrangement of the Psalter matters. And the arrangement of the Psalter is evident when we look at how those books are laid out, right? So um, going back to the, the earliest of the manuscripts that we have, they're broken up into that. It's likely that someone like Ezra or someone on the other side of the exile organized them in, in this fashion. Right. There's great reason to see the Psalter and the Chronicles, for Second Chronicles, which were written at the post time of the post-exile as well, were written together so they can be retelling the history of Israel and giving hope and encouragement to the exiles to be looking for their Messiah to come. And in that way, a couple of the reasons why we can see the arranged ways at the end of each book, mm-hmm. right? So Psalm 41 is the end of book 1, and Psalm 72 is the end of book 2, and Psalm 89 is the end of book 3, and Psalm 106 is the end of book 4, and then Psalm 46 through 50 is the end of book 5. We see a praise or we see a prayer at the end of each of them, right? right? It's not accidental that each of these books is concluding with a praise, and it's not accidental that the end of the entire Psalter has five psalms of praise at right. the end. We see in books 1 and 2 that there is not superscriptions, so David's name isn't there, although Acts speaks of Psalm 2 as David's psalm, but it's not there in the original text. It seems as though Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are used as an introduction to the entirety of the Psalter, right? So that's kind of the superscription for everything that is there. And what is it focusing on? It's focusing on walking in righteousness by the word of God in Psalm 1, and it's focusing on the kingdom that is to come in David in Psalm 2, right? The word of God and the kingdom of God. And you just see how that continues to work its way through the rest of the Psalter. And so in that way, we can see that there is an arrangement in the Psalms that is very intentional and instructs us how to read it and why is that? Because that's what God, how he wants to reveal himself to us. Right. Uh, and I think it's helpful to see those things. So how is this book so different, or why is this book so different from the other books of the Bible? Um, so no other book has as many authors mm-hmm. as this book does. That's right. Probably no other book uh, spans the distance of time like this book, right? Yeah. So Moses is the author of Psalm 90. And again, somebody on the other side of the exile is a, is a writer there in Psalm 137 and other places. Uh, it's a compilation that is written together. So this makes it challenging as we're reading this. For one, 
we can in some sense, and we probably should in some sense, apply it directly to ourselves just to be able to pray these prayers because it's expressing the emotions of those who are followers of God. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's helpful to see that when Moses wrote his psalm, he's writing it in its own particular time and place. Right. right. And so when he speaks, for instance, of the fact that you know 70 years or perhaps 80 of strength is the time that is given to a man. Think about Moses, where he is when he's 70 years of age, right? right yeah. He's on the backside of the <laughs> desert. Yeah. He's expecting probably that he's coming to the end of his life. I mean, yeah. that's what he's saying, right? 70 or 80 years of age. If he's strong, he will have that time. He's coming to the end of his life. And yet, what does God do at age 80? Right. Hey, Moses, I've got a new task for you, yeah. and you're going to go lead the people out of Egypt, right? So God completely redeems where he is at that time. Mm-hmm. But then when we see where Psalm 90, so when Moses wrote it, it wasn't Psalm 90. It was just the Psalm of Moses. But when it gets put into the Psalter, now it becomes Psalm 90 at a particular time and place. It's put in the place in the Psalter after Psalm 89, which is 88 and 89 are the darkest of the Psalms in all the Psalter, right? And so now as the people of Israel and the king of David are in the dust, they're in exile. How long are they in exile? Oh, they're in exile for 70 years. Right. 70 years is what we find in Psalm 90. And now we have the Psalm of Moses in the same way that he was then raised up at that time period to bring about a new exodus or to bring about the first exodus. Now the Psalm of Moses is positioned at Psalm 90 to say God is going to do a new exodus. And just as God redeemed his people before, now we see that God as king is working its way out through Psalm 90 to Psalm 106, then leading on to a greater David to come. So in this way, to read Psalm 90, we need to read it in Moses' time period. We need to see where it fits in the time period of uh, the, the, the organization of the Psalter. Then it applies to Jesus, right? Because Jesus actually has conversation with Moses and Elijah about his exodus, right? That he's going to lead. And then it applies to us who are in Christ. Right. So in that way, it's as though we have to read Psalm 90 in multiple keys, right? the key of its original context, the key that is found in the the Psalter itself at the time of the exile, in the key of Jesus Christ, and in the key of the church as well. And when we apply Psalm 90 directly to ourselves, we can do that. But it's just helpful to know how it kind of gets to us mediated through Jesus. Right. As I was reading and studying the Psalms, I saw a note, and I did not verify this, that the Psalms is the exact center of the Bible. Is that true? Some want to say that Psalm 118 verse 9 is the center of the Bible. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Of course, that's a great centerpiece verse that is there. Maybe that's true. Uh, I haven't done the math to figure all that out. Nor am I going to. (laughs) Um, But uh, that's a great verse. (laughs) This concludes our discussion of the Psalms portion of our reading plan. As you are following along with this reading plan, if you have any questions or comments that you would like us to discuss, please send them to vmas at obc.org. You may hear a response in an upcoming episode. Via Emmaus is a podcast of Occoquan Bible Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our prayer is that you would read the Bible and read the Bible better. For more resources related to this episode and the gospel-centered ministry of God's Word, visit obc.org.